better place to end the street in Death Valley, South Carolina, baby. Guys going down, guys stepping up. That's what football is all about. And they say we can't do it. What they say now? A historic matchup, Kirk. Somebody's going to be 15 and 0. These programs have really owned the season. We expected this. We've waited for it. We've got it. Third throw in three plays, it's intercepted, and the Tigers are going the other way. AJ Terrell with a pick six. And we get three-man rush. Lawrence slips a shot downfield, and he has T. Higgins. Tigers make a statement as ETN walks in, stretching the lead. Tua looking to throw on first down. Launches it for Judy, but it's picked off. The second interception, this is Trayvon Mullen. It's a shovel pass in the middle, and bouncing his way to the end zone. ETN for a second time. The Tigers on fire. And it is a fake. And taking off is Matt Jones, the backup quarterback, and it's snuffed out. Niles Pinkney made the stop. Guy Crowd in this end making some noise. And backpedaling Lawrence flips it open, wide open. Justin Ross off and running. The Alabama native wins the foot race and Clemson strengthens its grip on this championship game. Third and 13. Lawrence just launches freshman versus freshman. And Ross makes a catch on the far sideline. We bring five. Lawrence picks up the blitz, delivers. And is that another circus catch by Ross? Wow! Lawrence, with the rush coming, finds T. Higgins, touchdown! The Tigers reclaim their crown by crushing Alabama. Clemson is 15-0. We're national champs for the second time in three years. Parade is in the rear view. Team's on their way to Washington for a White House visit. California was good to Clemson, and life is good. Welcome back, everyone. We appreciate your patience as our voices and livers recover from that national championship game. I'm your host, Nick, and this is our first four-man podcast in probably about seven months. Fellas, how we doing? Uh, doing good, Tully. Um, good to be back with all of you guys. Tully, I think this is the first one that I've done with you since uh, the beginning of the season. And as you mentioned, uh, the first time the four of us, well, it's the first time the four of us have been together to actually talk about a game. Um, so that's pretty cool to get everybody together. And uh, yeah, just still living on that high on cloud nine uh, from that natty win. It's, it's important to know we would have recorded earlier, but no one had a voice, like no, like no voice at all until I would say a day or two ago. That's right. Yeah, it took me a yeah. couple of days to get my voice back. Yep, definitely feeling better now that it's been about a week. We've got <clears throat> still a little tickle, uh, <laughs> but definitely able to talk now, which was not the case on Tuesday and Wednesday. Now, before we get going here while we're talking about this, Sam, I want to congratulate you on your first year anniversary pretty much yeah. around that time of being on the podcast. And I was thinking about it. Um, 
Because I remember our first, the three of us, our first couple seasons doing this and just how terrible we, we, we were, you know. <laughs> we were wrong a lot. We we stumbled over our words. And, you know, personally, I still do that. Um, but you came to in a right tongue away. Tungle by Loa. Yeah. You came in right away. It sounded like you actually knew what you were doing. Yeah. If anybody if anybody caught the last episode before I went back and re-edited it of me uh, stumbling over Tua, I'm not going to try to say his name again. Did, did you guys ugly. see Tua's real first name? It's no, it's way too long. Yeah, it's There's, 30 letters long. Yeah, insane. It's we crazy. won't attempt that one on this show. Um, but we, what we will attempt to do is uh, recap this game and put it in perspective as Clemson fans. Um, obviously, a lot to unpack from this individual matchup, but also kind of taking a look at the breadth of the season and really looking forward to what this means um, as Clemson fans for this program. Uh, but guys, I kind of wanted to start with just what your feelings were as, having attended this game and. We really played host. Um, we, we hosted a tailgate. We want to thank everyone that came out to that. We had a lot of listeners come by. Um, so we thank everyone for coming out, hanging out before the game. But um, how how kind of was, was your week overall? And how did you feel about um, the stadium vibe? Kind of how, how Levi Stadium felt as a championship site. I know a couple of you have been to um, the Tampa and Phoenix National Championship games. So you kind of have a frame of reference here. Well, the leak we, we leading up to it was kind of surreal. Um, you know, it, you couldn't really tell in the city of San Francisco proper itself just because it was so far removed from where the game was. You knew it wasn't going to be as highly attended being on the opposite coast. I saw a couple uh, folks in Clemson gear um, on the trolleys, uh, the cable cars. Uh, but other than that, you wouldn't have known it. I think I saw one Alabama person in the city. But as you got closer to the game, we had some events at the boardroom, our local bar here. It had some Clemson fans come out. And then I think it really hit home when I got down to uh, San Jose on Sunday night, went out to the to the bars where Clemson fans were, um, and then certainly the next day at the game, um, and just seeing all that orange out there. Yeah, look, they, everyone thought there were going to be crickets at the game, like there would be no passion. That was, for one, I think it was about 60-40 Clemson. That would be my, my guesstimate. And, man, it, it was a pretty electric atmosphere. I mean, Ben spoke to the, the pregame stuff, but the actual game, I thought, was it couldn't have been better. Yeah, I, the week leading up, I was super excited personally. To Ben's point, there wasn't a lot of uh, you know orange around the city like we kind of hoped leading up to it. But once we got to the weekend, we started seeing some people. Anecdotally, throughout the week, people were like, "Oh, I got to go Tigers walking down the street." It was great. Um, but Sunday and Monday, we really got into the heart of you know the the pregame, the tailgate, the tailgate. I was so impressed with how many people actually showed up. Um, how little of them we actually knew. Yeah. We, we have our core group here of maybe 20 people that we knew were coming. And I would guess we probably had about 80 people show up at some point throughout the day on Monday, which, uh, a lot of them knew who we were, which was super weird. Uh, I guess there are people actually listening and these aren't just numbers on our little, uh, podcast listens tracker thing. Um, but it was, it was great to actually meet people who listen and, you know, Take have a connection with the podcast and, and with Clemson Sports that that came out to California. It was awesome. Yeah, I agree. Um, one thing I'll say, I mean, I thought Levi's and the the kind of host committee that put the event on did a great job with all the logistics of the day itself. Um, you guys can say what you want about that in the atmosphere and kind of the area around the stadium, but it was pretty good in terms of kind of tailgate lots and getting into the stadium, getting out of there was very smooth. I didn't go to Tampa. Um, people I I talked to. It did said it was a nightmare of getting into that stadium. Um, people were kind of really getting in under the gun before kickoff to get to their seats. 
no such deal here at Levi's. I thought it was really well done. Well, and Phoenix was the same way, right? Um, during the first run back in, uh, what's that, was 2016 at that point, uh, seemed pretty easy getting into the stadium. I think Tampa was just so many people were at that game. It was packed um, and all the hype surrounding that. But yeah, I think logistics were absolutely you know, fine for this game. The concession lines were a little bit long inside the stadium. Um, the stadium itself, for being a brand new stadium, there's nothing to write home about. And then I will still maintain the fact that the Bay Area is the absolute one of the absolute worst places you can hold a college football championship game. Um, again, I have no problem with it not being in the South every time. It shouldn't be. It should travel the country because, you know, we want the football, college football brand to be spread far and wide. Um, but just not a good place for it because nobody else cares out here about college football. It's a pro town. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I personally was not all that excited that the game was going to be in Tampa, uh, but I think you do get the proximity. People can drive to it, that sort of thing. I mean, no one's like, yes, give me to Tampa. That's such a great area to go see a game. Apologies to folks um, in that part of the country, but I feel like um, the Bay is just so far removed. I think that was the deal, and also just the cost of getting out here. Well, Tampa's like one huge retirement community, and the Bay Area is just one big tech community who could care less about sports. But I, I think the, the majority of people that go to these types of games, when you're spending probably minimum, especially Tampa, that's like minimum $1,000. It's not like the local interest. Like everyone talked about the Bay Area not having college football tra uh, tradition and history. That's true. But no one no one that's scoring this game, even the, the Silicon Valley millionaires, aren't going to pay $500 to get into this game. So it's, it's going to be the, the fans from the teams that are going to pay the big bucks. And local interest doesn't really matter. What, what was... Obviously, the, the big hurdle here was the logistical nightmare of having to travel all the way to the West Coast. Right. I think that was the big hurdle that we kind of expected to have uh, a big impact. But to, totally to your point, San Francisco and the Bay Area in general are a big draw for tourists. And we sort of expected a little bit of that to even out because people would be like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll make a I trip out of it. On, yeah. um, doesn't seem like that really was the case. People came out for the game and the game only. And obviously, the... Um, festivities around the game but there weren't a lot of at least anecdotally from what i heard there weren't a lot of people saying oh yeah i made you know a full week out of it and i came out and went to napa and then i came to the city and then i went down to the game well and who can afford to do that after the holidays um it's, it's one thing to pack up your family in a car and drive a few hours down to tampa it's another thing to take your kids out of school again after they've already been out for the holidays spend all that money drag everybody out of here that's why in part our tailgate was so successful because we had a lot of People just coming out stag by themselves. You know, a lot of orphans didn't know anybody out here, and they need some place to go. Um, so it's it's different depending on where it's going to be. New Orleans next year is going to be a great time. I'm already looking forward to that. That checks all the boxes. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Um, but you know, I, I mentioned this in the last episode. The the NCAA and the networks don't care if the stadium's full because they get all their ad revenue, all their revenue via TV ads. So that no matter where it's played, they're still going to get that. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, I, I want to echo what Ben said, um, and Cody, you too, like the vibe in the stadium, very good atmosphere. I agree on the kind of ratio of Clemson to Alabama. And um, with just the way the game went, I was in the Clemson's section. So, you know, it certainly felt loud and rowdy and um, amped up there. So um, and it, I've watched the broadcast now three times, three different feeds. And I in a lot of moments, you can hear us doing the Clemson chant. Absolutely. And it can, was all Clemson. And on big yeah. plays and on big sacks and that kind of thing you had, or, you know, tackles for loss, you definitely had the, the crowd involved. So You know what the funny thing is, like, for the third time now, um, 
you know, between Glendale, Tampa, and now in uh, Santa Clara, during the game, Bama fans are there, but like before and after, where are they? Like, I don't see them anywhere. It's just like they fly in for kickoff and then they immediately, immediately leave after that. It's just such a business trip, even for their fans. And I'm, I'm glad that as us as Clemson fans, even though we've been in the playoff four years in a row in the, the, the championship three times, that it's still not that way for us. We still have that level of excitement uh, coming into every game, and I hope it always stays that way. For sure. Definitely. Um, maybe pivoting a little bit, um, I wanted to ask you guys, like a big narrative coming out, and certainly from the mouths of the players and the coaches in parade speeches yesterday um, and even in the postgame, there's this concept of Clem- this Clemson team, 2018, being the best team of all time. And look, you know, a 15 and 0 finish, first team. Let's call it not even in the modern era, but you know, since since uh, football was was played with helmets and you know on with, with actual rules, uh, first team to go 15 and 0. Actual rules. Actual rules. Um, <laughs> there was no rules in the 1800s. Yeah, I mean, I, like I think the there West. is a case that this could be the best ever team, but I want to know where you guys stand on that, and I want to start with Kobe. Well, I, I generally don't like the best of all time arguments just because you have to cut, cut across eras and it's really tough to do that. But I think, is this team worthy of that consideration? And I think, yes, yes. And I talked you know, talk to you guys a little bit before we were recording and it seemed like they already, the writers already had the, the, the articles ready to go with Alabama as best team ever. They had those things ready for, ready to send to the editor. But what they had to do after our wins, like, oh, that team just crushed the team that was supposed to be the best team ever. So, so now they must be the best team. Yeah, let's insert Clemson. Yeah. So I think that's like, well, I don't, it didn't feel right going in, but now here we are. Yeah, I mean, you guys can talk about the stats and, and all that stuff. I, I think we're worthy of consideration. I think I'll say five years from now, there, there's going to be some names in the in the in the league in the NFL yeah. where it's going to be like, well, I guess that team really was the best ever because you have all pro wide receiver. Justin Ross, T. Higgins, and Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, that probably was the best team ever. Well, and we're not just talking about best Clemson team ever, right? We're talking about no. the best team ever. Now, 2016, we talked about being the best Clemson team ever, but now we're talking about college football team of all time. Best and season of a college football right. team ever. And so I agree with, with Cody. It's it's hard to say because uh, it's hard to compare those teams across eras. I think history is going to look back and, and help make kind of that determination, but – you know, next year's team is going to be really good. Now the defense is going to take a hit, so probably not best team ever. But uh, I will say this, without a doubt, this is the golden era of Clemson football, and Clemson football is at the height of its success right now. Yeah. Totally. I think the, the argument for best team of all time can take a lot of different angles, right? You can talk about how many of the players turned into Hall of Famers or Pro Bowlers. How many of the – what was the record during the season? What are the advanced stats stay? I think – this team has a really good chance to be at the top of the argument in each of those different categories. Um, there definitely is an argument to be made that we're the best team of all time. I mean, there's the superlatives 15 and 0 first team ever in the modern history of the, of the college football record books. You know um, we have a lot of guys that are going to be first round, second round, third round picks on this team this year and the future years. So it, Cody, I agree. It's really hard to compare across eras, um, but no matter which metric you choose uh, for for best of all time, this team is going to be in the conversation. Well, and I, w- I will say this. If we consider this 2018 team the best team ever, it's going to last for two years. So I think the 2020 team might trump that. Yeah, like, it's looking that good. One of the things I was thinking was we're going to, in it, you know, let's assume Trevor Lawrence at least stays on a linear trajectory of development and kind of impact 
this is likely going to be the best defense he played with. So will this be the best team of Trevor Lawrence's era? Um, we bring the whole offense back next year. Scary to think they might take another step forward, but they may. Um, let's hope so. I think there, there could be a case in a few years, once you add the NFL kind of prospects of this team coming to fruition, that we could look back and say that. But, I mean, I, you know, let's, I don't want to take a chance to kind of um, play devil's advocate here, but you know, things that might have felt like this was the best team ever could have been something like blowing A&M out or not necessarily struggling with um, South Carolina in the passing game. There are a couple of times throughout the year that you might have said, okay, you know, the best team of all time might not have had that same struggle. Um, but I think, you know... Right, but the, the team we ultimately are or were was the team that beat Alabama in the championship game, not the team that played Texas A&M early in the season. Yeah, and that's one point. Like, they, they've looked at... I saw one SB Nation article where they looked at margin of victory historically versus, like, Miami of 01. And, well, Clemson was, you know, we didn't have a, the 50-point margin of victory or something crazy. But, we like, like what you said, Ben, like, we weren't playing the same way. We were totally... He'd say up. sandbagging, but yeah. we, that's what we were. That's what we're doing. But and we had Kelly Bryant, of course, for the first four games. And, and think of all those young guys we were playing so early on. So by the end of the season, that's why you can make the argument is because from top to bottom, the depth is what is kind of builds that argument for best team ever, right? I mean, you don't have the drop-off from your first to second teamers. Even in the Bama game, like, we were playing guys, second-string guys, early on. Like, that's been the philosophy all year long, and they've never strayed from that. We, we paid won, off. We won both of our playoff games by 25-plus without our starting defensive tackle who's going to go top 10 in the NFL draft. We won every game since after the Syracuse <clears throat> game by 20 or more points. Exactly. But, like, to your depth argument, we were missing Dexter Lawrence, and our defensive <laughs> line did not struggle at all. They looked amazing. Uh, Pinkney and Jordan Williams and Huggins. Albert Huggins just, you know, yeah. they stepped up and did the job that Dex would have done as one man, but they split the duties and got it done. Um, there's not a lot of programs in the country, certainly now or historically, that could have done that. Yeah, I think what might end up being the legacy of this Clemson program at this juncture is definitely everything you guys have talked about, superlatives and accolades of this year. But I also think there's innovations happening in this program that could become part of its legacy and change college football. One of which, a big one you guys just hit on, is depth. Clemson averaged throughout the course of the year First of all, we got 110 guys into games throughout the course of the year. We averaged 72 players per game. Bama, OU, and Notre Dame averaged 55. So right there, you're basically getting 20 more guys on your roster, meaningful snaps and experience. I think that's a way to develop, develop depth, develop talent, so that you can continue to maintain your position in, in the nation and with your program. And you know what that does? When we have such an especially weak regular season schedule – it gives you something to look forward to. It's like, okay, we know the starters are going to go in there and dominate, but we're going to get to see those second and third string guys and some true freshmen get in there and see what they can do throughout the season. That keeps that exciting. It's a huge pitch for recruits, too. Exactly. So you keep loading the depth chart. They're not as concerned about, oh, you already have a number one running back. No, it's like, keep be number three. One point I want to make, and it kind of goes veers away a little bit, is that this Alabama team – for all the things we've heard in the post game about the warts and maybe they they weren't their heads weren't in it and to his ankle and this and that this was the best Alabama team like so we didn't go up against some you know lackluster team this was statistically the best and I believe it was the best not yeah their defense was slightly off but offense like two is is amazing even in that game you saw things that like wow this this guy probably should have won or could have won the Heisman we beat a great team and I think the numbers bear out like all year long there were two really really good teams. 
Yeah, no question. Um, so anyway, maybe to we do need to kind of talk about the game here, but um, there's definitely, I mean, the positive vibes we feel coming out of this game um, are lasting and a best ever argument. I mean, this team has definitely made its case and I think we'll continue to know more um, as players graduate, go into the league, et cetera. Um, I do want to pivot to the game, but before we do that, wanted to, again, thank everyone for tuning into the podcast. We had a lot of um, new listeners come in this year, so we appreciate word of mouth, everyone writing reviews, everyone telling friends, and engaging with us on social media. Um, this coming off-season, we're definitely going to be um, continuing. You'll, we'll, we'll be with you um, throughout the off-season. We'll definitely be supporting um, other Clemson sports, and we're not done with football yet. So um, toward the end of the show, we'll kind of give you guys the, the heads up of what we'll be bringing out coming up. But um, do follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, at Clemson Podcast. We're on Facebook as well. Look us up there. Um, and then make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss a show. Again, we're going to be probably changing our, our rate of putting shows out during the off-season, but the best way to hear from us is to make sure you're subscribed through your favorite podcasting app. Um, if you have not yet done it, we definitely implore you to go on iTunes and leave us a review, five-star variety preferably. Um, that definitely helps us to get found when people are looking for college football and especially Clemson content. We appreciate all of those reviews. Yeah, and I just want to, and we do this every year, but just a thanks to everybody that listens uh, week in and week out and encourages us uh, to keep putting these things out. This is a hobby for us. We all have full-time jobs out here. Some of us have families uh, to deal with and two kids. Um, so we really do appreciate everybody that listens and that because of that and all the positive feedback we get from you guys, it's a big reason why we continue doing, uh, doing this. Um, I had a conversation with uh, Gene Sapikoff from the Post and, uh, Charleston Post and Courier and it really hit home with me when he was asking all these questions of why we do this. And one of the big things that we started doing this was uh, to keep us connected out here on the West Coast uh, to, to Clemson football. And it's really been um, a huge uh, joy for us in doing that. And we look forward to continuing that. Let's get into this national championship game matchup. So guys, this game started with a Clemson offensive series and saw a little bit of jitters looked like from Trevor Lawrence, a bit understandable. Um, if he makes that first connection to ETN on that first pass play, um, he had a lot of daylight and I think that might have um, blown the game open from the start, but um, kind of a tentative series on offense first, but I want to applaud Will Spires. Um, first punt was a 51 yarder. Um, Waddle from Alabama, I think he was shocked at the level of boom coming off of the foot of Spires there. Um, Alabama sent the house a bit, and I think that changed some of our punting strategy later, but um, really good from a flip in the field standpoint to set our defense up well. Um, and then we were off to the races. Three plays in, uh, it was a pick six by A.J. Terrell. Um, and, I mean, the, the place just went nuts at that point. Um, we had someone walking through our row at that moment, but I, I, I kind of knocked him over, I think, as that uh, interception went through. But um, from there, it was really a fast start in this game. Alabama came back, responded with um, the deep ball to Jerry Judy. I was telling you guys, I made a comment to a friend like, yeah, Clemson's secondary sure is suspect, kind of after Terrell went in with the pick six. Then we have a, a blown play um, with the Jerry Judy touchdown. But um, I wanted to ask you guys, like through the first quarter, we'd seen some nerves from Lawrence. Um, Alabama was effectively running the ball. They had that deep play to Judy. So you definitely thought that Tua had recovered from that pick six pretty well. I mean, we're, it was 16-14 after the first quarter. 
you guys thought this was a game still, right? You guys, was there any kind of worry in your mind that this was going to turn into um, a bit of a, a grind of a game? The first five minutes were so exciting and stressful and intense. Uh, you know, the first, obviously our three and out started the game, but the pick six and then the immediate touchdown from them and then another three and out from from us, they go down and score again. We scored like it just was back and forth and nonstop. The first, the whole first quarter was so intense. Uh, I was worried it was going to be a sixty-five to sixty final score after that first quarter. Um, Big twelve game, and it was exactly. actually they didn't get they didn't get the field goal until they're just in just the into the second quarter, yeah. right? Um, but they were driving and they were in the red zone. I think by the end of the first quarter, so it was it was clear they were going to get points at least. Well, at that point in the game, we thought, we thought oh, you're in the red zone, yeah. you get points. <laughs> that would obviously turn out to not be the case for a lot of their drives later in the game. Uh, but yeah, the first quarter was was intense, and it was. I was definitely worried that it was going to be a really high scoring game, and we were going to be cheering and then booing, and it was going to be a lot yeah, of up and down roller coaster throughout. That yeah. that AJ Terrell interception, the pick six, really set the tone for the game. I thought um, it showed that you know even though we had the the three and out on offense, and um, then even the uh, drive after that. Um, where we had to face that third and we had to convert on that third and 14 on that deep bomb to uh, Justin Ross T Higgins or T Higgins. Sorry. Um, so it was a little bit shaky early on, but the, the kind of the experience factor set in, you know, we made a lot less mistakes than Bama did as talented as they are. It really, I think it really came down to that. I was kind of shocked to see that we were a bit more experienced than Bama was across the board in this game, but I think it ended up really showing. And you got to remember, you know, Trevor Lawrence only has a handful less, starts than Tua does. Yeah, I think one the one play for me where I'm like, I think we can do this was not on the, t- it was right after the T Higgins throw, which that looked good, but you know, we were going to get a few of those. Um, it was the, the next run from Travis Etienne where he gets yeah, the, the 17 yard run. Yeah. yeah, because you saw a couple things. You saw one, their defensive ends can't cover out in space like in like in previous years and Etienne's, we didn't have an Etienne in previous years. And then you also saw wide receiver blocking like guys that were really committed. We didn't have that last year. So to me, it's like if we can if we can get ETN out there, like we can keep this up. If we go into a track meet, we have a chance. Yeah, we just seem to have the answers for them, right? Every time they did something, we were able to respond. And I think it does come with that experience factor, but also the fact that across the board, we're there. Our talent level is just as good as theirs. Like our monsters looked like their monsters. Like when you look out on the field and, you know, this doesn't normally happen with Bama when you, especially look in the trenches on the lines, like, I immediately noticed their offensive line. I'm like, God, those guys are huge compared to the guys that we've seen this year. And then I look across our defensive line. I'm like, ah, oh, they're the same size, if not bigger. Yeah, I think uh, the balance and like the level-headedness of our team was great because they came out. The offense looked shaky for the first drive and the third drive. Obviously, the big play from T and the touchdown from ETN on the second drive kind of helped it feel a little bit better about the offensive performance early in the game. Uh, but the defense was Ben don't break all night. And they really showed that early on in the game. The uh, field goal drive at the end of the first start of the second was in the red zone for like seven plays in a row. Uh, and we got the goal line stand and they kicked that field goal. That that was a really comforting thing for me, I think, defensively. Uh, obviously, the pick six was huge and it totally swung the momentum early. Um, but continually stopping them in situations where we not necessarily have been great all year. Um, you know, red zone scoring, people were fine once they got super close for the most part. Uh, and we completely shut Bama down in the red zone throughout the whole game. And early on, it was it was a sign of things to come, I think. 
Yeah, and to talk to Venable's defensive strategy, I mean, he, he was clearly up to something. And if you, you can't tell me in the first quarter you're feeling great about how we were defending them because they were getting about eight yards. Yeah, they were moving the ball. They were moving. It, it was all it was all planned. Venables knew what he was doing. I mean, we had to kind of, we had to give up a little bit of the run game uh, just to, to give two different looks and bait him into certain things. And it was, I mean, God, we had the best play caller, defensive play caller in the country, the best defensive coordinator in the country. He knew what he was doing the whole time. He's playing the long game. I will say Dexter Lawrence not being healthy hurt us, like being able to stop their A-B, A-B gap run game. But ultimately, man, they, we knew the guys were well prepared on well, the back end. it's not his health. It's uh, the suspension. Or the suspension. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, the suspension. It was his health last time. Yeah. So, Well, I want to ask you guys, I mean, it seemed like Bama was getting what they wanted between the 10s or between the 20s, um, getting in, getting Alabama into the red zone. And if you look at their red zone trips, their scoring opportunities, they came away with a rushing touchdown. Um, I'm sorry, it should have been a rushing touchdown, and they had the, the, the kind touch of henches touchdown. Um, they came away with a field goal and then two turnovers on downs, and then later on the fake field goal, which we'll get to. Um, to me, it seems like, and certainly our, you know, when you get down to that that part of the field, um, a strategy of bend but don't break. You just bring the safeties up, and potentially what was working on the ground won't work down there. But it does seem like they they turn to gadget plays, and they Alabama's play calling seemed to flinch somewhat. Why do you guys think that was, and um, why do you, why weren't they pounding, you know, um, their their trio of running backs in that part of the field? Well, I think part of it is in respect uh, for our defensive line. And our linebackers are really good in, in, in running. Uh, as are our safeties. Yeah, in run coverage. Defense, as are the safeties. So when you get up against that goal line against team, there have been several goal line stands for this Clemson defense this year. And you, you've often seen it. Um, didn't have as much as this game because we weren't playing as many backups um, as often as usual. But you've seen teams kind of drive down the field a little bit on us this year. And as they get closer to the red zone, this team, and this defense really tightens up. Um, again, not having Dexter Lawrence didn't help, um, but it didn't hurt as much as it could have. Um, I think more than anything, I'm just really disappointed that we didn't get to see him play these last two games because he's going on to the NFL draft now, as expected. Yeah, and I'm also, I didn't watch the entirety of the parade and kind of the celebration yesterday. I don't, he, he didn't give a speech, I don't think. And um, I just want to take the moment to, you know, applaud Dexter Lawrence for his career at Clemson, um, you know, I, I was going to say, I don't think you win one, let alone two titles without Big Dex. We manage just fine in our two hardest games without him. So maybe you can make the argument this year that um, we'd be fine without him. But he definitely added, obviously, a lot of leadership and tutelage to uh, Niles Pinckney and Albert Huggins behind him. But Well, and I want to give a big prop uh, and shout out to Albert Huggins because think about this kid. He could have left. He could have transferred. Um, and gone somewhere else, having been passed on the depth chart by Dexter Lawrence and Dexter Lawrence's freshman year, reminded me a lot actually of the Jalen Hurts and Tua situation, in, um, and then with uh, Jalen Hurts coming in there in the SEC championship game against Georgia and bringing Alabama back. Now I know, you know, as a defensive lineman, you're not able to bring your team back, but it, you know, Albert Huggins was gonna be the starter until Dexter Lawrence came along, lost his job, stuck in there, was the backup, played well, and then. In one of the most significant moments of either of their careers uh, on this playoff run, Dexter Lawrence gets suspended, and Albert Huggins steps in there against Notre Dame, plays well, played well against Bama, and there wasn't really a, much of a, a drop down from that. It didn't hurt us. And so I think, uh, you know, 
just congratulations to Albert Huggins for sticking in there. And man, he deserved it. And I hope he, uh, he upped his draft stock a bit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess we can keep it with the defensive side of the ball as we pace through this game. Um, I think it was back and forth. And then you had the Mullen interception on um, Clemson had taken the lead, taken the lead back on ETN's second rushing touchdown. And Trayvon Mullen, defensive player of the game, I, I don't think there's any question. You look at his tackles for loss, his forced fumble, and then that pick um, did change the momentum a bit. And I think di- that one stuck to Tua a bit throughout the rest of the game. Um, he definitely made a few amazing throws later on. I mean, the kid's a star. He was going to do that no matter what. But I think that this one um, definitely had a huge impact. And not just on the interception itself, but the return. And Yeah, the return was huge. And both of those interceptions, by the way, were on Tua. Nobody else. Yep. I think the, the second quarter is really when the defense and Mullen specifically turned this game around and made it less of a back and forth and gave us that that comfortable lead. He obviously, we got the, <clears throat> the goal line stand for the field goal early in the second quarter. The next drive was the interception return by Mullen. Uh, the drive after that, which was, they had like a 50-second one to end the quarter, but their last actual drive in the second quarter uh, was the one where he, they went five and out and he got that sack fumble thing where he speared to a um, helmet to helmet as they say <laughs> exactly um and so i think the defense in the second quarter was incredible the play calling was obviously Tua was rattled in that quarter he wasn't ready to handle what venables was throwing at him uh, we were getting penetration the whole quarter and mullen made some huge plays to to cap off those uh defensive drives yeah so the etn scoring after that mullen interception to go up 28 16 and then after that, I thought Bama was done for when they whiffed on that fake on that uh, the fake field goal. Um, and then for Justin Ross to go down to that seventy-four yard uh, touchdown interception after that, um, that was the nail in the coffin. That was the nail in the coffin. Yep. Me. Yeah. that was early third. Both those things. Yeah, we just completely ended the game at that point. I don't have the stats in front of me, guys, but I showed a split between Tua facing, I think it was top twenty rated defenses versus his games against top twenty versus non top twenty. Um, and he had six touchdowns, six interceptions against high caliber defenses in Clemson and Mississippi State. And I forget who Georgia the third is. Might have been Georgia. Yeah, exactly. he had two picks against Georgia. And so. granted, yeah, two two of those picks came against Georgia. He was hurt and hobbled in that game. Don't want to make excuses, but um I don't necessarily I mean, you can come up with stats to tell any story you want. Um two is probably better than what that performance showed against tough teams. But I think Clemson was a step above that. And um, really, as the game progressed, he wasn't making the reads. He completely missed Mullen on the corner blitz um, that resulted in that forced fumble. Granted, Bama had two fumbles in this game that they recovered also. So mm-hmm. they had a little bit of turnover luck on their side. Um, but just across the board, I think this was a um, definitely Brent Venables 1, Mike Loxley, and 2 a 0 in terms of a, of a chess match. Yeah, I think uh, the bend-don't-break quality of the defense this game, even if you give Alabama touchdowns on all of those goal line stands, we still win this game. And if you give us the fumble recoveries instead of them or give us one, like we we won this game so handedly that even if we concede extra points to Alabama on drives where they didn't score things or where they got a field goal instead of a touchdown, we still win the game. It's close, obviously, um, which is kind of the game that it looked like it would be in the first quarter. Yeah. But we just, it was so far and away our game after that second quarter, those second quarter stops. 
the second order wins or the the win expectancy of Clemson in this game was 70%. Meaning if they played 10 times, same results happen on the field, we win seven out of 10. Um, and it, to me, felt even higher than that. Um, I think part of that was due to Clemson's lack of success in the running game. Um, and you send that many, you have that many drives go deep into the red zone, you're likely going to score a lot of points, you know, more often than not. But, um, but how fitting is it, like, for the defensive secondary to really be the ones that, that you know, killed, the, unit, killed their yeah. will, right? Right. So to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, just with both of those interceptions were so huge and pivotal pivotal turning points uh, in the game just because we got off and we've gotten off the slow starts this year. Um, we did that this year on offense. I know we had the, the first touchdown um, um, converting on that third and 14 and then the ETN run. But even then, Lawrence a little bit shaky there um, in the early going. But for the defense to step it up and keep it close and to have that first score, then eventually you see things start rolling in the second and third quarters like they have all year for the Tigers. And it was just lights out after that. We just pulled away. Yeah, and give a lot of credit to the the safeties as well. I mean, they they were clearly outmatched in terms of like athleticism facing off against Jerry Judy. I mean, and everyone is in college football, so that's no, no yeah. No slight he was to the the national or the Blitnikoff. the Blitnikoff with the yeah. best wide receiver but in I, football. And like Kayvon Wallace, for example, after what happened against South Carolina at you know playing a, a really bad game, like he he. I mean, he had his hands full with Jerry Judy, but he was able to get to him, not let him break for a lot of long runs. You know. Muse got caught up in that first play, but, you know, that was just bound to happen a couple times in this game. Ultimately, like Sammy talked about the bend, don't break strategy. It's like, that's, that's true. And it was, but it was also the wrinkle was that bend, don't break, but you don't know what you're looking at from play to play mm-hmm. because of like the, the blindside blitz from Mullen or uh, yeah, from Mullen, as you guys said, like that stuff they, they found on tape and it was, it was also disguised and delayed. So, I mean, it, he did, he, he never felt comfortable in the pocket. His QBR was 21.5, uh, Compare that to Trevor Lawrence, 92.8. I hope the secondary feels vindicated after that game. Uh, It was talked about all year that they were our weakness on defense. And this game, they made all the big plays. The AJ pick six, the Mullen pick and return, the Mullen sack. Like, they won this game for us. The secondary and run stopping was great. AJ and Mullen both made tackles out in space. Um, Muse and the rest of the, the safety core were fantastic. They they were such a huge piece of this game. I hope that they get a lot of kudos within the program for that because it, it was awesome. And it wasn't an anomaly because they did it against Notre Dame and their talented wide receivers. It was something where they really, like, well, first off, between uh, Denzel Johnson and Nolan Turner, they really progressed as backups as the season went along. You know, early in the season, you were not comfortable at all with them being in there. And then Wallace and Muse, you know, Muse still has some work to do in pass coverage, but he was better at that this year than he was last year. Um, and then Kavon Wallace made strides all year long. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the secondary played phenomenal, and they really turned the corner, I, I think, there uh, in, in the bowl practice. But the looking back, I think one of the pivotal moments, and you may not know this, see this at the time, or even may not be that obvious right now, but I think one of the pivotal moments was the pickups in the secondary back uh, at the last minute in 2016 of Mullen, Wallace, and Simmons was absolutely huge because you saw how big those guys were in this game. Because Simmons, another guy who really made some progress during bowl practice and turned the corner. He played great against uh, both Notre Dame and Bama too. Yeah, and it sets up well for the future. We'll see what Simmons decides to do in terms of coming back. Wallace will be back. He's declared that. So um, good stuff, hopefully, on the horizon for the secondary. Um, I guess the last thing I want to make sure we cover. Before we move off the secondary real quick, where did Mark Fields come from? What a game for him. 
Yeah, like, it was what? awesome. So when's great. the last time he played? And we're hearing all these things like, you know, well, Mark's going to be Mark. You never know what's going on with him. And, and then he comes out and plays the game of his life. Loved it for him. Yeah, it's huge. I, it was cramps, right, that Mullen suffered. That's why yeah. he was on the sideline. Yep. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, amazing, amazing game for Mark Fields. And again, like he was coming in toward the, the latter half of the third or into the fourth. Game was certainly like in hand by that point, but you know, but it was like mid take, third. He was making some yeah, big plays. Doesn't take many busts in the secondary to yeah. make that a, a tight game again. And anyway, so great to kind of put it on ice at that point. I do want to backtrack a little and talk about the fake field goal. And I don't know that I've seen Saban respond to that in his press conference. I, I personally haven't seen that clip. Oh, he he said it was his. It was on him. He owned it. It was yeah. a bad call. Justin. I understand in that situation, not wanting to settle for three in a field goal. Clearly it was the wrong call. Um, how did, I mean, that was a moment of just pure joy for me in the stadium when that went down. And I saw it all the way to Niles Pinkney. Yeah. He shutting, busted that, through immediately. shutting that down. Yeah. Every replay just gets better and better. I had to go back and look and see if Kirby Smart was on the sideline. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, it's seriously. Kirby what? stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what type of a play call is that? Well, fourth and six, and then we're in, like, the, the defense sets up to protect against the fake field goal, and you send your kicker that as your blocker? a moment of panic. He's not even side. a good kicker. You think he's going to be yeah. a good blocker? Yeah. I, was that play call worse than running Tua on fourth and goal from, like, six yards out? I yeah. Think, yeah. I it's think worse. They're the, both bad. Cause, but, but putting the worse. ball in Tua's hands is one thing. Putting the ball in your kicker's hands, putting it in yeah, Mac Jones' thing. hands with yeah. the kicker as your lead blocker. Right. There were so many things wrong with holder. the play. Yeah, sorry. Um, it was you know Mac Jones is not fleet of foot, so why are we running it with him? Why not put you know Jacobs or something no, no, no. back there if you're gonna? We knew it was coming. They were better off having two a hold. Exactly. So <laughs> giving him the ball. Like there, the levels to the badness of the and play. It's it's there's so many levels to it. Why are you faking it to begin with? If you're going to go for it. Just put your offense out there. And it's not something that cost them the game, but it just kind of it was part of the the, the painting the picture totally. of the game. Like it'll be the most remembered play of this game, I think. That uh, or the pick six. Oh, the pick six was pretty damn Justin good. Justin Ross's catch. There's yeah, maybe there's is catches. Catches, plural. No, I, there's, I don't know. There's a lot I just of good think ones. It, it's so non-Saban that I think that's what will be. Well, they like, panicked. This, the, was a, the Bama was, team right. and coaching staff panicked. You've never seen that before. And that's why when you go back, and that's why I mentioned about the, the well, how much the experience mattered. Um, you know, Clemson did not have any turnovers, only one penalty. Um, and it was very uncharacteristic for them to panic, but I think they knew what they were going up against, and we were doing all the right things, and Sabin just for once did not have an answer for it. Exactly right. It was That's the part I think that was most – I mean, that kept America tuned into this game. Um, blowout championship games, people will generally tune out, but the fact that it was – there's still a lot of joy, schadenfreude, in Alabama losing. Um, but to see not just Alabama lose, this was their worst loss in the Saban era – their worst loss period as a program since like 1999 um, in a bowl game. And just to see Saban, to see kind of, as Spencer Hall puts it, the machine fall apart um, was just I mean, amazing television. We had 30 unanswered points and they didn't score in the second half. I mean, phenomenal Dominant. against a Nick Saban coach team. Yeah, to, to put it in perspective, like I think this is probably a more memorable game uh, from, from the casual fan 
uh, that more so than 2016, where it couldn't have been a, like you could have written up a better game than 2016, right? Because you just don't see stuff like this, like a team and, and Saban's team get beat the way they were they were beat. So um, I think there was more entertainment value in that second half. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Christian Wilkins and including Farrell just really quickly, like, absolutely, and and Austin Bryant as well. Like the things we were doing schematically were were great to to add pressure. Um, and speed up his, to his clock. But there were things that we already had as a built-in advantage, which was along the line of scrimmage. Christian Wilkins probably played the game of his life. And and I don't know if we want to talk about this yet, but I think you have three guys from that 2015 recruiting class that should be in the ring of honor. And that's that's Hyatt, Farrell, and, and Wilkins. The ring of honor is a lofty... Um... It's a lofty standard. It's hard to get into. And the reason why there's so few people in it is because you don't put three people from any one class or year. Like, it just doesn't happen. But I think certainly, talk about Sean Watson, uh, Christian Wilkins, absolutely. Um, Just not from just his play on the field, but all the intangibles, the things he does off the field. I mean, you remember that one time where he uh, took Trevor Lawrence out on a date after uh, Kelly Bryant left? I mean, it's stuff like that. Right, and you saw Lawrence and Wilkins after the game hugging, and I think the relationship between those two and what Christian Wilkins did, taking him out and taking kind of him under his wing with that leadership, was a big reason why um, Trevor was able to be so successful this year, and why the team was able to manage that transition because there was a lot of turmoil during that week, and you saw it result in that close game against Syracuse. But man, they really took off after that, and I think that's a big pivotal moment for me in um, in regards to the leadership. Yeah, they're going to leave, certainly the, the three you mentioned, Cody, are going to leave a big shoes to fill on the field from a defensive standpoint in, the, in that D-line, but also in the locker room and just the, the face and um, kind of tenor of leadership on this team from the player standpoint. It's going to be really interesting to see on the defensive side who steps in and becomes a vocal leader. But um, yeah, can't say enough good about um, the impact that those guys had. My highlight Christian Wilkins play was when he took out, I think it was Damian Harris um, on one of the goal line stands. We just shot his gap. Shot his Anticipated gap. the play. Yeah. Yeah. He, he stuck with that and it was basically the just perfect moment of, of taking out um, the rusher there. Insane. I went back and watched that play several times. Just kept rewinding and watching. They had a great aerial yeah, shot of exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. So and there was another great one, I think, on a sack that he had, I think I mentioned earlier, where he was being held and just busted through the line um, to get after Tua. Awesome. Well, uh, amazing defensive performance from Clemson. 16 points to this juggernaut Alabama team. I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but their season low on a game had to be in the upper 20s, if not 30s. Um, and to contain them to 16, just incredible. Um, but I think... Probably the side of the of the field that was most impressive for us as Clemson fans was what happened on the offense. Why don't we flip to that side? So the 44 points on offense for Clemson, certainly an output that I think some of us could have imagined. I don't know if we would have imagined a 28-point victory, so maybe that's more kudos to the defense. But um, the offense showed up, showed up consistently throughout this game, and they kind of gave you as a fan a little bit of everything. Um, we had a much lower, I think, rushing success rate than Alabama did. I think that was a little bit by design on our defensive side. You guys talked about the bend but don't break mentality. Um, but in this one, it was, let's just call it what it was, the Trevor Lawrence coming out show. From a national stage, from a national standpoint, all the conversation coming in was about Tua, 
I'm saying Trevor Lawrence, a little green still, a bit of a greenhorn there at quarterback. He was highly rated, but, um, you know, have we really seen him solidify and establish himself? Yes, we did in this game. And well, it wasn't just his coming out party. No, no, just absolutely. Justin Ross, too. I mean, yeah. that was one of the first things when I got back to work uh, on Wednesday that the people came up and mentioned to me. They're like, man, that number eight's really yeah, good. And that freshman wide receiver, I was like, oh, yeah, he's catching passes from that freshman quarterback. It's like, we know. We knew. Yeah. And now you know. I think I think Lawrence was um, aware. People were aware of Trevor Lawrence coming into this game, coming into the playoff. Nobody knew who Justin Ross was. Everybody knows who he is now. And, you know, his long touchdown catch uh, and his two ridiculous plays along the sideline um, were just, I mean, they're highlights from the game, obviously. But he, he we saw it all year, but nobody else had seen it. And so I think it was even more his coming out than it was Trevor's. And I, I think all of us remember the bootlegged videos coming out of that closed practice in August. Uh, shout out Alex Kraft for some of that footage. Um but uh, I think all of us were like, man, we know what he's capable with that. To have it show up in the national championship game against Alabama, I think exceeded any of our expectations. Well, and Notre Dame, too. He had a great game there. Leading receiver had that juggling catch going out of bounds. Yep. Yeah, just from like the what was on display of what he was capable of. Yep. Um, it was great. Great to see. Um, I, I think coming in, we you guys touched on it in your game preview. We knew we had some talent advantages and potentially matchup advantages in the passing game. Alabama lost their entire secondary. Um, they had one of, one of their best returning guys go down earlier in the season. Um, Sertain, you know, solid freshman. He's going to have a good career long term, but he got exposed a bit in this game. Um, and really, I think our advantage showed up on third down. And I wanted to ask you guys, where would you grade out Tony Elliott's play calling throughout the course of this game? That's a tough one because of all the weapons uh, that he has. I mean, but let's give him credit where credit is due. You know, those guys made the plays, but he made the calls. Um, and after some shaky starts early on, this this Clemson offense was pretty much impossible to stop. Um, and yeah, I mean, you both him and him and Scott, you got to give a ton of credit for. And this was an absolutely great year of offense, averaged 44.3 points a game, ended up being the number four S&P offense. Cody, you, you and I talked about it at the beginning of the year that we thought this Clemson team had to be a top 25 offense uh, to win a national championship paired with our defense. Maybe top, see them being top 15, but I don't think we ever envisioned them being number four. No, and they, they looked every bit of it in this game. And it, it all, like it was all, we finally reached our, our peak uh, what what the offense could be, and that was obviously Trevor Lawrence's big building all year. Yeah, yeah, and it wasn't obviously it wasn't the same with Kelly Bryant in the in the dual quarterback system. Um, I I think in terms of Tony Elliott, like I, I don't think I'm ever going to criticize him again. I think he knows what he's doing. <laughs> I, I mean, I know I, I feel bad like saying like I was wrong, but I was wrong. Him or Robbie Cod- Caldwell. I I brought this up to give you guys the chance to apologize. Yeah, yeah. I mean, give him his credit. Yeah, no, I, I think so. I mean, everything that he does that's so what would you call it? just it's very mundane play calling throughout the year right it's it's all he put everything he waited till the last two games to show different receiver sets um to, and, we, and we didn't have to show those all year we didn't have to i mean yeah what he's doing all year and and giving etn 10 carries or eight carries a game he's just keeping him healthy for the playoff guy knows what he's doing he knew i think trevor lawrence is very comfortable he knew what mismatches he had and, and that that was Savion smith and and Patrick Sertain on the back end, he knew formation, so he knew when he was going to get a one on one. 
four wide receiver sets when they could put uh, when they could put T Higgins and Justin Ross to the boundary, or I'm sorry, the field side. It, they just they knew what was going to be there, uh, and I think I mean I, I don't know if we should expect Trevor Lawrence to go into next season looking like he did in the national championship game, just because that was a lot of preparation and throwing out all the the tricks in the bag. So. Anyhow, um, Tony Elliott gets a ton of credit. I, I imagine Jeff Scott does as well. But You know what yeah. the big number for me on the, for this game was on offense? Um, Sam and I talked about this in the recap of the uh, the recap of the Notre Dame game or the, the preview. I think it was the preview of the national championship game. Clemson's offense struggles when it, when it gets behind schedule. So when it ends up facing uh, his all season long, when it was facing second and third and longs, they had a hard time converting. That usually killed drives. In this game, Clemson was 11 for 15 converting on downs when they faced second and third and long situations. And that's an incredible stat, and which is why they were so, so successful in this game. Because, listen, the running game wasn't there for the most part. ETN would pick up some big chunk plays every once in a while, started running better at the end of the game. But up to any B gaps, there was nothing there. Um, so there were a lot of second and third and long situations, but this is why Trevor Lawrence was inserted as the quarterback. Kelly Bryant could not make those throws. On third and longs with Kelly Bryant, you were essentially out of it. You expected it to punt. Trevor Lawrence is a different quarterback, and he's able to make those throws, and he made those plays on the biggest stage at the biggest moment. Yeah, I think a ton of credit to the coaching staff, Elliot and and Scott, for sure. Um, I'd like to thank them for making me look really smart and saying that the secondary and the plays to the outside of the field were going to be where we really attacked Alabama offensively. Um, the right side of the field, especially throwing to Trevor's right, was where we tore them apart. He had about 250 yards passing to that side of the field. Uh, was 11 for 15 on that side of the field as well. Um, and that's where all of the really big chunk plays were. The, the Feaster screen pass, uh, the Justin Ross touchdown, the T. Higgins super long catch. They were all obviously... Uh, Ross's two ridiculous catches along the sideline were over there. We tore them apart. Did Sertain you mention Overton's? Over, yeah, they're all Overton over there. Overton had that back shoulder catch. I mean, yep. yeah, the receivers showed out in this game. You know, Alabama's had trouble defending the pass all year long, and whereas our secondary was considered our weak point, they really stepped up in the playoffs. Well, Alabama's secondary did not fare so well in this yep. game. It's a very young secondary, and a lot of those guys that we were actually going after, when you talk about uh, uh, Sertain, and the others, uh, and uh, Moses, the linebacker. Like, we were going after those guys. So they were high on our, our recruiting board. So the fact that we lost them and still to be able to come into a game like this and be able to win with the guys we have, that means we're right there. Then When we miss on a guy, the guy that we fall back to isn't a step down. Like, it's equal footing at this point. So it's just refreshing to see that. Yep. So I think the credit gets spread widely. The coaching staff did a great job. Uh, the receivers, like you mentioned, Ben, made some incredible plays. And obviously Trevor Lawrence gets a ton of credit. Uh, Kelly Bryant can't make some of the throws that were made in this game to even put the receivers in position oh, to that, make those plays. That last TD throw and catch uh, from Lawrence to Higgins, yeah. great throw. Yep, amazing catch. Amazing catch. Uh, it reminded me of the touchdown catch from Mike Williams yep. uh, when he hurt his neck. Uh, just back of the end zone, middle of the, middle of the field type play with, with double coverage. Um, it, really crazy. Just, it was amazing. Trevor Lawrence makes it, he looked almost effortless on a lot of these pass plays hanging in there. He took a few shots, um, took a few shots in the fourth quarter in the running game and stayed, stayed tough, hung in there. He's not a finesse player. He's not a fragile quarterback back there. And I think that's what, in my mind, makes him likely to be a good pro prospect. Well, as you well. forget he's six, six, the, the boy can, a big can boy and take a hit. Um, that last, uh, in the fourth yeah. quarter, when he ran through our offensive lineman to get the first down to essentially lock up 
the end of the game was that, awesome. And that's where he's got a leg up on Deshaun Watson was his, his physicality. Deshaun was a little frail as his freshman year. But, um, yeah, just a few more things on the wide receivers. Uh, good to see Trevion Thompson in his graduate senior year. Um, little known, that, the fact that I didn't know that he's played more games at wide receiver than any other Clemson player ever. Uh, so gra- congratulations to Trevion. Um, but then just outside of the passing game, the physical blocking downfield that we've had this year between Ross and Higgins on ETN's first TD run. Um, yeah, you know, what Amari Rodgers could do. And Trevion Thompson, probably one of our best uh, wide, blocking wide receivers. Um, kudos to those guys for putting together a complete game and a complete season. And to talk about blocking, none of this could have been possible without the offensive line, given Trevor Lawrence a clean pocket, which they could not do for Kelly Bryant last year. And, that, and there's a lot of, there's a few differences there. But, man, they still had a lot of the same players to contend with. They did a good job. I think they did a good job con- um, containing Quinn and Williams and, and, and having the, the right double teams for him. Yeah, he was a non-factor. John Simpson did a really good job blocking him in pass protection. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to touch on Williams for a moment. The big narrative coming out of this game is that, and certainly he had some words after the game, that he didn't think, you know, TL looked that great. He said he was just throwing it up there and the receivers did all the work. Um, and that Sour reminds Grace. me a lot of that guy that was matched up against Hunter Renfro uh, when he beat him, and Hunter Renfro said, you know, told him sorry for trash talking, and then the Bama player came out like, oh, that's not true. It's like that's the kind of vibe you get from Bama players. You don't feel that from Clemson. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I will say though, I don't think Quinn Williams no showed in this game. I thought he, um, if you look at his game score and you know tackles for loss and his havoc rate, all of those things had a fine game. I think the reality was Clemson double teamed him. And right. um, it, maybe the narrative coming in was not as much adoration for Williams as it was disrespect for Clemson's O-line. And the, this O-line is used to practicing week in, week out against Dexter Lawrence and Christian Wilkins. And they're back. They're very capable of backups. Well, look how they stepped up in this game too. You know, Hyatt, you know, had a great game. Falsinelli probably had the best game of his career. Absolutely. Um, Ankrum played well. I mean, these guys just really pulled it all together. You could see the cohesiveness uh, between this group. And, um, you know, you got to give credit to, to Robbie Caldwell. And I mentioned it, Cody, the same thing about questioning Elliott. Like, the recruiting may not be where we want it to be on the offensive line, but that guy can coach him. Um, and he's proved it time and time again. So, you know what? Just take the guys that come in, mold them into being the best offensive line that you've seen in, uh, in Clemson history, at least under Dabo's run. Um, yeah. Kudos to, to Caldwell and that whole group of guys. Yeah, I think Williams still had a, a pretty strong game. Uh, he still ended up with a tackle and a half for loss. He was in the backfield a lot. He was doing the Dexter Lawrence, Quentin Williams, Christian Wilkins type job as a defensive tackle. I think the rest of the front seven for Alabama is where they really didn't step up. Yeah, Bugs um, wasn't a big Bugs did nothing. Mac, Willi- Mac Wilson Hyatt. did barely anything. Dylan Moses did nothing. Well, Raekwon Davis did nothing. I will say they they felt Christian Miller's absence. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Especially in pass rush. Yeah, I think the only two defensive players that really had decent games were Anthony Jennings, the guy number 33 who has the longest arms known to mankind, <laughs> uh, and Quinton Williams. They were the only two that really stepped up in this game. Uh, Xavier McKinney in their secondary had a pretty decent game. He had a lot and of that's tackles. That's another guy that we were after, too. Um, How about the curtain call for the offensive line? That was, was really great. cool at the end of the game. And to get that in a national championship game... I was going to say, Sam, I don't know if you had any other thoughts on Bama's kind of defense, no showing, but um, this game turned into Dabo wanting to troll a bit. It and totally did. 
um, from the curtain call, but even before that, he wanted that 10 minute drive. Yeah, I think it started earlier than that. It started in the second and third quarter when we started putting second, third string guys in. Uh, you know, we get up two, three touchdowns and they start putting in the backups to the backups, uh, which to be fair to the coaching staff is what we've done all year. So it's not like it was out of the blue from the pattern of this season, but historically in championship games, that doesn't happen. Well, think about it. It's about playing those guys and, and sticking to your guns there. And because they played them so early and often all year long, they were capable enough to play in a game like this. You look at the Davis twins, nobody gave them a shot and they just kept plugging them in there and playing. And lo and behold, here they are, you know, playing significant time in the national championship game. So yeah, not, it's hard to question this, this coaching staff and their philosophy because the results are what they are. Yeah, for sure. To cap the game though, with a, a 10 and a half minute drive, I wanted 50, everyone on the Clemson half wanted 50 plus points. And they were going for it until we got the first down and there was enough yeah. time to run out the clock. It was clock. less they, than a minute. They it, were still yeah. running choice. They were still running feaster. Great to see Chase Bryce get in there and get some snaps in the natty. Great to see Will Sweeney get in there and get some snaps in the natty. Um, there were a lot of tweets questioning why TL was still in the game on that drive. That late, yeah. Um, he which, needed to run through the defense a couple <laughs> times. Yeah. I, I think I side on the on – the, I, I err on the side of caution there. It would have been good to just. But because we but we started down. that drive at our goal line. That's right. That's yeah. why. So that's why he starts for that. sure. And that was huge. Drive. Right there at the end of the game, showing that experience too. We had a goal line stand sandwiched between two drives that started at our goal line, um, and Bama got no points off of that. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, so all in all, certainly a dominant defensive performance. We touched on that, but offense did their part as well. 4416 guys. Um, you know, we did have a missed PAT in this game. Um, I, I touched on Will Spires. I thought he had a he had a really good game. He moved to the rugby style punt, uh, which number one, in one of those end zone plays where we needed to punt it away, he actually the rugby style punt saved a block. I had like the perfect vantage point of that. Hard to see when you're looking at it from the profile view. Uh, but the rugby punt kind of evaded a block, and later on they were sending a lot of pressure. Um, I forget what his average was in this game, but he had a 51-yarder to start out. Um, so certainly a, a, a good day, good showing for Spires. Wasn't really a big special teams game overall, though. No, I mean Spires ended up uh, a little over 44 yards a punt, which is better than his average all season. He had one of his best games, three punts. The big 51-yarder in the first quarter was huge for, for flipping the field. Uh, Hugel was one for one from, from his field goal. Uh, and missed one of his two extra points that he missed all season. The other one came against Notre Dame. Um, I think he was like 74 for 76, something like that on the season. So while we may not have had a lot of uh, field, goal, field goal kicking prowess this season, he was consistent and got his job done. Well, in our um, narrative going in, today. our narrative going in uh, when Sam and I uh, did the preview was don't F it up on special teams. You look at Potter only had one returnable kick. Uh, we, we had fair catches and all the kick returns and, and, and all the punts. Uh, we, we mentioned Spires and mentioned Hugel, you know, played decent. So um, played it to it, it really beyond it, a draw. It didn't do anything to it didn't do anything to help us win the game, but it certainly didn't hurt us. And that's what all we were asking for. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you want to put the big field goal in a special teams category for them, certainly you give us the edge. 
Absolutely. Yeah, well, and then they had to kick out of bounds and, and missed an yeah. extra point they, as well. They so definitely had more gaffes on it, special teams. It than hurt them more than anything, absolutely. Um, I just want to, you know, before we wrap this up here, I want to say one thing about ETN. We really didn't talk much about the running backs because there wasn't a lot of the running game going on. But a big difference between this year and last year is just how physical a runner Travis ETN has turned into. He is much closer to a Gallman-type physical runner than he was to himself last year. And that, that's really good to see. Yeah, definitely seen him um, progress in his sophomore season. We're going to have one more with him next year. Maybe he puts both of those together, um, manages the added weight and muscle, um, and gets some of that explosiveness back. But he's certainly portrayed that on that 10-minute drive um, with, what, like a 30-plus yard run. Mm-hmm. Um, and, man, if he, if he had had just one more step, yep. a house call there would have been incredible. I think he had, uh, obviously, his stats were not huge, 14 carries for 86 yards, uh, but I thought he played a great game uh, to, follow, TDs, to follow the game plan. Three touchdowns, one receiving, yeah, two rushing, um, two rushing, one receiving. Um, I think he did a great job following the game plan, keeping it inside the tackles when he was supposed to, being patient behind the line where he was supposed to, and he had two or three big plays, obviously the touchdown in the first quarter, uh, the big play in the fourth where he broke it outside and showed, you know, that explosiveness that we've seen all season. Uh, he ended the season with six, more than 1,650 rushing yards and 24 rushing touchdowns. Um, it doesn't get a lot better than that. So never has we, uh, not for us. Yeah. Um, but even in, you know, college football history, like there are not that many seasons that are much better than that. Certainly on the touchdown front. Uh, so I can't wait to see what he does next year. So I'm also a little shocked, saddened, and disappointed that we haven't mentioned Hunter Renfro at all. <laughs> yeah, um, he had some key catches in this game. I think he also was interfered with, um, and those were not called. I wanted him to get a touchdown more than anything. I think if, if we had had a Christian Wilkins throw Hunter Where's Renfro the pick play? A pick play to... Uh, to go over 50, that would have been just you know cosmic what, You know what I love about the guy? You're watching at the end of the game, all the guys going onto the field and shaking hands. There's a shot of Hunter Renfro just in the middle of all of it, and nobody even knows he's there. It's like, and that's kind of the story of his career. It's like, where's Waldo? You know, he's just kind of blending in the whole time, and every once in a while, it's like, ah, there he is. That's my nickname for him. I, I like to think of all the the army of assistants that that poured hours into watching Renfro film, and I, you, you imagine they pro- probably put a lot of absolutely res- a lot of resources and effort into into stopping Hunter Renfro this game. And lo and behold, here comes Justin. Yeah, Ross. I forgot about Justin. Ross. So <laughs> it wasn't in it wasn't in vain. Him running his routes, he got two catches for ten yards, and they were back he still to, made his. They were actually felt. they were back to back catches. They were converting to get a first, a first down. down that led to a touchdown drive. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Can't say enough good about him. Um, so sad that he and Christian Wilkins and Mitch Hyatt have now played their final games. Well, and, and same with you know Kendall Joseph coming, but just the handful of guys, those guys that came back. Um, just just great to see them all go out on top. You know, just really love it for them. Um, they got the job done. Yeah, and Hunter Renfro, what an amazing career. Now I'm looking forward to seeing all these guys play in the NFL, but him for sure. Well, we guys, we still need to come back and do a show to commemorate this season, do a, a season recap, um, and do the Watson Awards. I guess this will be our third annual Watsons. 
right? Am I yeah, right? Yeah, I think, I can't remember what we called them the first year. And then they turned into the Watsons, and we decided the that podcasties. they're the podcasties. But then we, you know, for lack of rebranded, for lack of more creative term. Um, so we, we made them the Watsons, and yeah, who knows what we'll make them uh, this year. We'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to you guys with that show. Um, but before we kind of officially wrap, I do want to take the moment. Fast in the glow of this game. Um, it's been amazing. I, again, I've watched three recaps. I encourage people to watch the field feed. I think it's still on the Watch ESPN app. Um, it was Adam Amin, Steve Levy. Who am I missing? Tebow. Um, Tebow is in there to start the game. But it was Adam Amin and Steve Levy, and they rotated. Like Chip Kelly was there, Desmond Howard. Um, a few football personalities throughout the game came in, and um, really they were following the game live and great commentary. Um, this might take a turn. Chris Fowler, not my favorite. Not my favorite play-by-play guy. Um, just he just I think he, he does very well in between plays. In the moments, I'm just not feeling his his uh what, what he's bringing to the table. He's revamped his voice this year. I don't know if you noticed. Um, to have more of the Gus Johnson. So he goes into this mode where a big play happens. It's not him. He sounds like a Neanderthal. Rewatch the game. That's what I'm talking about. Like, I just, it it grates on me. And I apologize for, like, now ruining him for everyone else. But um, Herb Street's great, as always. Anyway, I like the alternative feeds. I wish they would do that more often. But we didn't get a good coach's feed. I don't know if you guys watched the Cotton Bowl recap. Um, It was amazing to have Paul Johnson and I actually like Mac Brown kind of messing up the video and playing the, the role of host there. It was, it was worth it. Yeah, I was I was kind of disappointed they didn't do the coach's feed for the national championship game because seeing those guys with, with the minds that they have and the, the experience they've got watch a football game, it's just it's very different even for the four of us who probably look at games more analytic, analytically than a lot of other people because uh, we got to get on here and sound like we're not complete idiots. Um but if you're just... No, it's another level. Yeah, it's so many levels above where we are. Unfolding. I um, wish there would just be a cam on Britain Venables the whole time. I'd watch that. I mean, <laughs> just, you just see just pullback that. guy, our pullback It'd coach. be the Smotherman yeah. cam. That's fine. Anything. Exactly. Um, so guys, this game was clearly an amazing achievement, and we're going to cherish this one forever. I do want to take a step back, and let's talk for a moment and put this game in perspective. So the last four years, I think it's safe to say that Alabama and Clemson sit atop the pedestal of college football, two championships each. Um, we talked about the seniors of Clemson and Alabama wrapped up their careers here, both with, what was it, 55 wins, four losses. Incredible from both sides. Let's call it even. Let's call these programs even through this past four-year period. Um, and Cody, I'm going to start with you. Over the next four years, where would you calibrate these two programs? I mean, they're still one and two. I think Georgia has some, I think they could get into that conversation. I, I put Clemson as the 1A team now instead of the 1B team. Um, they, they have the much cleaner path, easier path to the playoff. Um, I think with Trevor Lawrence, he gives you a little bit of upper hand and the right receiver core, it's not going anywhere. Um, so, but let's don't write off Bama either, though. They're going to be right there. They're, they had the number one recruiting class this year. Um, just globs of talent. So I expect them to, to reload. The only thing, let me, let me like, let me um, quote Joel Klatt really quick. They said at Alabama, I know, I know, Tully's making a look right now. At Alabama, they have a factory. At Clemson, they have a family. It's, I know it sounds like it's like, you know, it, it really speaks to the Clemson way and, and the differences between Bama and Clemson. But I really think there's something to that with the retention of 
the the offensive defensive coordinators, the assistants, the entire coaching staff. Yeah, and and then the players, the buy in. It so I, I think this that's why Clemson's one A, and I I really do think over the next four years with more competition in the SEC that Clemson is a little bit ahead of Bama. Well, you know what? I'll take uh, Dabo as the patriarch of the family over Saban as the manager of the plant or whatever all day long, and um, and Trevor Lawrence is the golden boy. Um, I'm going to tell you, and I hate for this to be, I don't want this to be hyperbole or anything, but looking at Trevor Lawrence, he could not only be the best ever at Clemson, he could one day be the best college football player of all time based on what we've seen. Like if Joe Montana was the Jordan of his era, then Trevor Lawrence could be the, the LeBron of, of his era. And you know what? It all started in the Bay Area, which is quite fitting. The home of the 49ers where Montana ignited a dynasty there um, with that pass, the catch to Dwight Clark. Um, in the same year, 1981, it is Clemson's first national championship. So uh, all the pieces are lining. I think when you put all that together, um, just be very excited about what this Clemson team has in the future. Are they a dynasty right now? I think you have to win one more within the next three years to, to really become a dynasty. You look at what uh, Bama has done over the past 10 seasons. They've won the Natty five times. They've been in the national championship game seven times. There's only two losses coming to Clemson. So Cody, I totally agree. I think it's Clemson 1A, Alabama 1B, and for the foreseeable future, it's it's going to maintain status quo like that or bounce back and forth between those two teams. Maybe Georgia, but Kirby Spark doesn't really um, give me any confidence based on what I've seen him, how he's called games in crunch time. My, my great friend Kevin Foster said Kirby's middle name is not. I'm just going to leave you with that little joke. Kirby, uh, not that's, smart. That's a much better than nickname Kirby than Kirby Stupid, which is what <laughs> we can come up with. Uh, well done, Kevin. Uh, I totally agree with you guys. I think it's 1A, 1B. Um, I think depending on how wide you make the lens on the time on the timeline, uh, we are a clear 1A versus a murky 1A. Uh, if it's the next two years, I think it's us. We have Trevor Lawrence. We have ETN for next year. We have the receiving core that have a great offensive line. The offense, yeah. the offense is going to be unstoppable for at least two more years. Uh, not to say that the other guys coming in are not going to continue and, that, but the two next two years, we're 1A and, far and away. And I know we take a step down on defense. We just have to, but this team's averaged over 44 points a game this year. They're probably going to average more than that next year, and that defense is not going to be giving up more than yeah, that. I, I can't imagine that the offense will be worse next year. Uh, and the defense is not going to be drastically worse. So I think uh, we're 1A for the next two years. If you expand that to four or five years, Alabama's recruiting prowess is always going to be something that's going to give them uh, an opportunity to jump ahead of other programs, us included. Um, but I definitely think we are in a fantastic position. And uh, as when it comes down to college football sports and, and college football right now, it's it's 1A, 1B, Alabama, Clemson. Clemson, Alabama, that's all there there is in the, the championship discussion. Other teams may get in for a year, but it's really down to those two. And, and this is all because of what Dabo has built. I mean, let's face it. Um, it all started when he took over as an interim. And 10 years later, look at us now. And the best, I think, is really yet to come. You know, he was the coach of the year this year. He's now the best Clemson coach of all time, passing Danny Ford, I think, not just in my opinion, but in most people's opinions. And um, that decision this year to make the, the transition from Kelly Bryant to Trevor Lawrence as the starter, that's why this team won this championship. I don't know if, if you wait till later in the season to put Trevor Lawrence in, if he gains enough experience to be able to go into those two big game scenarios like that um, and win. He outs Coach Saban in this game, has the torch passed. I don't know, but the tide has certainly shifted, no pun intended. Okay, I'm a little bit intended. Definitely intended that pun. Um, but I see that like, on your notes, Ben. I'm yeah, looking yeah. at him. 
His Dabo's run down the sideline with Jeff Scott and the long TD pass to Ross in the third quarter is why we love him. You're not going to see any other coach, really, many other coaches, at least at his level um, of eliteness in college football doing that, and that's why we love him. Let me ask you guys. Dabo talks about this program having another level that they can hit still. The best yet to come. Um, so many cliches that he throws out there, but what do you think that means? What, a, like, what does it mean to have another level? What would that entail? I think we talked about in the, the conversation about best of all time. Uh, there are games this year, AM, Syracuse, where we didn't put our best foot forward for the entire game. Uh, there were plays where we had blown coverages. That's going to happen for any football team. But uh, cleaning up those mistakes and cleaning up those performances as a whole, uh, if we, I think that's the only level left is to have those 20 plus point wins every single game against no matter, no matter who the competition is. I don't know that it's actually possible for a program to get there because these are, you know, 18 to 22 year old men who make mistakes. And it's hard to go undefeated. There's it's, a, there, there's a reason damn near why impossible. no team has gone. I mean, well, the 15, 15 the 15 and 0 thing you can't really say much about because up until recently we haven't been right. playing 15 Just games. There have been team, teams that have gone undefeated, but uh, not. You look back in the history of the college football uh, college football champions, um, they're not all undefeated, right? The teams yeah. get losses, and because it, it's really hard to do that and keep that focus year in and year out, you have to deal with attrition. Uh, when you're that good, you know your junior is going to be leaving. You have to deal with injuries throughout the year, so. Um, cherish this moment, 15 and 0. That's yeah. a hell of a feat. I think that's the only way it gets better is I, if we just crush everyone every game. I, I don't think it gets better. I mean, I, I think um, the, the best is yet to come. Like, I think it started uh, on Monday night. I, yeah. We are, we arrived to the best, and it's just how long we can sustain it from this point. Because, I mean, like if you're, Sam, as you're talking about like perfection, I don't know. I mean, it's, I don't see it get any better. With, I don't know if it's plausible, but that, right. that well, would be the only step Because when up. we go to an 18 playoff, then we'll have to go 16 or no. Perfect. So look forward to that. Now we'll get a buy. And, and one thing I, you know, we'll, we'll do our, our Watson's episode and start talk, trying to put these players in, in historical perspective. And I'm, I'm talking about, you know, the three guys from this class, the senior class that are, have to be all timers. Um, another guy, like told you talked about Justin Ross as being the best wide receiver. Like this is not hyperbole. We have reached the best era ever in Clemson football. So like he's already, yeah, he's got He's trending that way. He'll be here for two more years. He has a chance to be the best wide receiver in Clemson history. T. Higgins, meanwhile, might be the most talented wide receiver in, in, in team history, and, and they overlap in two years. So there's a lot to just you know enjoy it, even if it's not perfection, even if like statistically it's not the best next year or the year after. I, I'm going to enjoy every every step of the way. And think about the impact on recruiting that this is going to have. I mean, we've already been recruiting at an elite level, but to win a game like this, I mean, I think DJ, even, even in this cycle. DJ Ugalele was I'm messing that up, I'm sure – nuance to that pronunciation but uh he was on the clemson side front row center um his quote after was like pure domination that looked easy amazing for recruiting and certainly there's dj i'm hopeful that there will be guys in this class in this class for this recruiting Ely, cycle being one potentially of potentially Ely, who doesn't want to come in and get snaps and maybe there's an offensive lineman out there that uh wants to come on board um, i don't know who's left available but i think we could certainly get some guys uh but you know what the target is now on our back more than ever, and we're we're winning at an elite rate, and we're doing that against Alabama, which has in part shielded us from getting a lot of the hate from non-Clemson football fans, like the casual college football fan across the nation. But you can only win so much, and, and people not you know 
eventually people start turning you into the enemy. Now, I think what we have that other teams don't have is we have the Dabo factor and the perception of the program can mitigate that to some degree, but make no mistake, the target is squarely on our back. Oh, people will get tired of Dabo and his enthusiasm. Oh, some he's winning have. all the time. Yeah. yeah. And you, let well, me make... he keeps bringing up the Roy bus at, at this point. Yeah, please quit. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I think there's been a Duke comparison. I've said it before, but it, like the way that Coach K brought Duke up into like being a powerhouse, like no one does that. Who, like that, that never happens. You see the sleeping giants like a Florida or a Florida State getting the right coach in, and they bring them up to national prominence. But uh, Clemson before Dabo was a, I want to say a friend's top 25 program that had the 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 sleeping giant type had, infrastructure the, or possibilities. We had the pedigree from the from the 80s. Yeah, mm-hmm. so like the pedigree was there, and but like, I, I would say the university overall commitment, maybe yeah. fan commitment was there. I don't know about the administrators. Uh, Dabo see, t- made this into a blue blood. Let's talk about what a sleeping giant means. I think it means the capacity to have financial support from a small alumni base come in come into play, and the president of the university, the athletic director, and the head coach all having a, a clear, consistent vision. That was lacking in the Danny Ford era. We have it now. We've had it. Um, you know, we all owe a debt of gratitude to Terry Don Phillips, but um, with Dan Radakovich and what Jim Clements have done and like committed to this program, football ops facility, assistant salaries, coordinator salaries, Dabo salary, um, that's what it takes. And it, I think it has started, though, with the fan base's kind of hunger for elite football. Yeah, well, I and mean, we, we've always had it. Um, you know, you just get those NCAA penalties in the, the early 90s that really just sets the program back for a while. I mean, it's like when... You know, we're fortunate we're not SMU, right? It completely wiped them off the map for decades. Um, but it, it's always Everyone been there. Was dirty if, back then. if you went back and read Tiger Illustrated's um, uh, piece a couple years ago about how they did a, a, a story on every single Clemson coach throughout the history of, of college football, I really or Clemson football, it really gave you an insight to what the program and the fan base was like back then, like in the forties and fifties and sixties and seventies and coming up. And it's always been there from the Clemson fan base. And it, we haven't been fair weather fans for the most part, even in the nineties when we struggled, we were there and we always wanted more. We wanted the best. And um, we, we suffered through that. Um, then we got the Tommy Bowden era, which gave us a little bit of glimmer of hope because we started beating some good teams. We were still losing those stupid games that we shouldn't. Um, but he got the facilities movement going. Dabo came in and just kept on with that push. And you could feel it start to build. Fourth and 16 against LSU. That game is is pivotal, pivotal in turning around this program. I think Taj Boyd is probably one of the most important players in Clemson history um, as he was the foundation for this run. I think you could say him and C.J. Spiller. Um, and here we are, and it's, it's really cool to be on top of the mountain. It's a great feeling. I went on a run yesterday in a Clemson shirt and had some random girls in a car give me a go Tigers out in, in downtown San Francisco, and this, you know, it was a week after the game, everybody's left. Nobody in the city cares about college football, but it's cool. I think, I think people might actually know where Clemson is now. I think they do. Um, no, and I, not to say that Clemson, by the way, wasn't historically a, a top program. I would say they're probably like something like a second-tier program to – you know, right just outside of maybe the top 10 or top 15, but now they are firmly within the top 10 of all-time programs just from what they've done in the last right. four years. And, like, that, you just don't see that happen. You don't see a, a guy work, um, like Dabo, work into a role where, like, it could be a stepping stone until he gets the next big job. But he said he just kind of skipped a level and said, I'll just make Clemson a powerhouse 
And now it's like everyone says, like, we, there's no move that he could make in college sports that wouldn't be a lateral move at this point or even a step back. Because Clemson is – it's become the mecca. Yeah, and, like, the, the talk about him going to Alabama makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, I mean, and that would be the argument of him going to – but that, yeah, it makes no it sense. Doesn't, it just doesn't make What's any he going to do, go to USC? Is he going to go to Ohio State? Like, that, that, that makes no sense. Yeah. As I read on Twitter yesterday, we got Dabo quotes on the church signs outside Clemson. He's, 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 he's here for life. <laughs> he's as, we trust. He's as close to God as you can get. <laughs> um, I mean, for, for, for a moment, rings. though, Dabo has two rings. He's tied with Joe Pa and a bunch of other elite. Bobby Bowden has two. I mean, and they didn't do that when they were 49 years old. They were a much older. I think, I think Bama has like 16 or 17 national championships all time, and Clemson has three. So in that respect, there's a long ways to go. Well, that that gets into the conversation of all-time blue bloods, and even even the last forty years of blue bloods, and like you know, Clemson's got three titles over a forty-year time frame that puts us in rare company. I my definition now, if you want to become a blue blood, it's sustained title contention, and it's sustained. I mean, and you, you have the infrastructure in place, and that's what it takes: is the infrastructure yeah. and the consistency. Um, and we need to see Dabo likely win one a decade removed from his first one in order to really call Clemson a, you know, a blue blood at this stage. But we're on the way. Yeah. And in for the near future, the only thing that could derail this program is some type of scandal. Really. I mean, I just, other, other yeah, than that, I, I he don't. messes around and goes to the NFL or something like that. But I don't see that. He's not an NFL guy. Yeah, I don't know if his, his his style of program building would translate well, but um, he's never talked about it. Tilly, I, I agree. I think the the blue blood we're not there quite yet. Um, I think if in the next 10, 15 years we win two to three more, with one of those being at least ten years after that first one, the sustained excellence is really what, in my mind, makes a blue blood a blue blood. Um, well, we talked about what Alabama's done over the last 10 years. Exactly. So Alabama, had they been a nothing program, which obviously they weren't, they've got the Bear Bryant era behind them, um, but had they been nothing and Saban had come in and done what he did, they would now be in that conversation. Yeah. They'd be right on the edge of being considered a blue blood if they literally never won a football game before he started as the head coach. Absolutely. Um, but would you consider, like, if we win another championship in the next two to three years, that this is a dynasty era? Yeah, so I think there's a there's a different conversation for dynasty versus blue blood. I think we are potentially a dynasty now, uh, obviously in tandem with Alabama, um, if we win one more of the next two or three, that definitely, I would call it a dynasty in college football. There's 150 plus programs and we've won three of five or with three of six with different quarterbacks yeah. and different players and all Trevor across Lawrence the board. could win it. He could win it. He could. It's a possibility. Um, so I think that's, <laughs> that's definitely, I'm I just know you're that shaking then. your head. Like that sounds ridiculous and it does, but it very well could happen. You saw what this kid did. As a true freshman, you've never seen anything like that. Well, Alabama only won it twice in a row once during their yeah, during that, their dynasty. That's hard know? to do. Yeah. So, so I think I think the dynasty is is different from the blue blood. Uh, we're well on our way to dynasty. I would imagine we'll get at least one more championship appearance, if not one more victory, and multiple championship appearances in the next two to three years. Um, and the blue blood, if we continue this for another ten years, we will be right there in the conversation with the best programs in college football history. I, I love what Davo said in one of the interviews at the end of the game. Um, is that after the 2016 win, he told those guys, "We're going to win again. 
It's just a matter of which team. And I imagine you could say the same thing right now. Well, I asked you guys, I believe it was on our Watson show a year ago. I want to dig up the audio just to find it, but calibrate this team looking forward. How many playoff appearances, national championship appearances, and titles would we win over, let's say, the next five years? I think all of us were like, we felt confident. We're like, we're going to win one more title. Yeah, yeah. We just felt, you know, we're like feeling good about it. Um, but we thought like the championship progression, maybe we'd attend to more of that kind of thing. I think we recalibrate that upward from here um, going forward. And we checked the box, right? I mean, we, we did it this year when you're removed from um, a disappointing Sugar Bowl loss. Let me go around the horn. Like next five years, how many championship game appearances are you guys expecting? Well, I mean, I certainly think the playoffs. The yeah, next can we do? Two years, can we do playoffs, championship appearances, yeah, and championship yeah. game win, wins? I mean, yeah, I'll give us a drop off for a season after Trevor Lawrence graduates. It depends if we get DJ coming in um, as quarterback. It remains to be seen in recruiting. It's hard to tell more than two years down the road based on the guys that we have on the team right now um, and the guys that are going to be coming in in the next recruiting class. But um, you know, I would expect in the next five years at least three playoff appearances and probably two championships. And the reason that you can have teams like Clemson and Alabama stay on top for that extended period of time in college football, whereas you can't in the pros like the NFL is because college football, you do have guys cycling in and out, but you're not restricted. Like the, you can get the best of the best players via recruiting. You don't have a draft where like the worst teams get rewarded with the top picks and it helps keep that parity uh, throughout the league, even the New England Patriots, it seems like they've been a dynasty forever. Well, yeah, they won some in the early 2000s, and there was a gap where they didn't win anything, and now recently they've won some more. Um, different in college football. So I, I think if things keep on going like they are and the recruiting keeps, I mean, it could even get better after this. Like, watch out, college football world. I hope you don't get tired of, uh, of, of Dabo um, and, and seeing Orange because you'll be seeing it for a while. Yeah, well, I think because of the ACC, I think it's it's reasonable to expect four of the next five to be playoff runs. But I, I think you have to respect the challenge of winning the championship. We were one play from losing to Syracuse, so with that, I, I think I think you expect one. May, maybe I expect one championship of the next over the next five years, but I, four playoffs. Yeah, again. because the 2015 and 16 championships could have flipped. We could have very well won the 15 game. Um, and lost the 16 game. They were that close. Yep. I mean, this was, a, again, this is an outlier. I think this blowout's an outlier. You're not going to see, if you see Clemson Bama again next year, Clemson's not going to blow out Bama and vice versa, right? Um, so, yeah, you have to respect the championship. It, but and to your kind of logic, there have been about the the, the dynasties or the the high high, high points in a, for college football, um, like we'll say Florida. Like it's more likely to happen in, in bundles or close together as opposed to spread out. Um, so. Yeah. I would expect it in the next five years, whatever it is, whether it's one championship or three. And this is assuming yeah. that Dabo's still the coach. And yeah. We're going to have some right. coordinator turnover <laughs> at some point. Jeff Scott and, and Tony Elliott are eventually going to get head coaching jobs. Brent Venables, I'm comfortable saying that he's just going to be the defensive coordinator forever at Clemson. <laughs> we can only hope. Uh, I think in the next five years, I'd probably say three playoff appearances, two championship game appearances, and at least one championship uh, win. With the caveat that it could be one higher in each of those categories. I could easily see four, three, and two. Um, I wouldn't go any higher than that as an expectation. Um, and I could also see it going, you know, one lower across the board. But I think three, two, and one would be my best bet. And as long as we're winning, the podcast will be here for you. If we start losing, well, we'll see. We'll go straight <laughs> back. Um, 
I'm I'm predicting two titles. I'm feeling like Saban's getting older. Um, his charade with cycling in and out coaching staff will catch up to him now that other player players are going to go have gone to Alabama and they they've gone there because that's their best bet. Best bet to win the title. Best bet to get to the NFL. There's an alternative to that. You can go play for a familial program and organization. You can play for a fun coach in Dabo. I think there's a recruiting edge to Clemson going forward that we could see in DJ. He's being recruited heavily by Alabama. There's an Oregon thing. Insert your bagman theories here. Um, if we get DJ, I'm feeling two, possibly three. Because yeah. it's right now, and I'll go back to a comment I had earlier. Clemson in this era will be seen as innovating, and the way to do it, there's a market deficiency or market inefficiency right now in having a quarterback that's not just elite that is like you know era defining and. Deshaun Watson, I think he was a generational quarterback. Trevor Lawrence is era-defining. I don't know where you put DJ yet. He's got another. He has a senior year to play still. Um, but to have that talent, that just put, that gives you such a big margin for error. That I think we, Trevor will get one more. And I think DJ will get one more, at least one. Right. My, I talked to my Notre Dame friend who thought he was just a play away. From, assuming DJ comes to Clemson. It, it, by the way, don't write off Tyson. Tyson. I will not. One name that I can say correctly. Yeah, Two to three. I said Tyson. <laughs> um, my Notre Dame friends seemed to think that he was just one play away and the, or that they were just one play away. And I said, we started talking about Notre Dame's like trajectory and how they could they, they could actually be a, a legit elite team. And it's like it happens through, I think, quarterback play. because And that's kind of what we've done. Our, our formula was like, if you can't have the factory of Bama or Georgia where there's five stars at every single position group, and that's not that's not been our formula, then you have to have some type of transcend transcendent talent at the most important position. I think that is its quarterback. And then you kind of build from there. By the way, speaking of that, the 16 would be 16 year would be an example of transcendent quarterback, a few players, position players that were just above everyone else. This year was our best and most complete team Team, across the depth chart. And college football is a lot about, we've talked about this a ton since we started this podcast of timing. And in the past we had Clemson teams. We had the 14 defense, 2014 defense, best in school history. We had the 2012 and 13 offense, and we can never really in the early Dabo years match those up, line those up. The last two to three years, we have overlaid those. And a lot a lot of credit this year goes to our seniors coming back, um, but we we have all the guys next on the depth chart that played this whole season. We're going to have very few true freshmen next year be on the two deep, and you start to stack that type of depth and experience and certainly blue chippers Who've played in big game environments. Yeah, yeah. it, it um, bodes well for future success. And I think the one thing that could topple us off of maybe the consistency we've had or you know, getting to three titles or three to four championship games could be an emergence in the ACC. And fortunately for us, I'm not seeing that from Miami, Virginia Tech, or even Florida State in the foreseeable. Definitely not next year. Right. Um, no, Syracuse is our biggest. Like, yeah, they're losing the Dungey, though, so threatening we'll opponent. see how that goes. Um, Cody, I think you made a point that made me have an interesting thought. Um, I, I think we did a really good job as a program before we got the elite quarterbacks of having a specialty, uh, in a position group or two, uh, in our case, it is wide receiver you and our defensive line. Those are two position groups where we said we are going to be the best in the country at this. We are not going to have the best quarterback to throw to those. Uh, receivers necessarily, but we're going to have a good one who can throw it up. Tosh Boyd, Ben, to your point, 
uh, is one of the guys who really started this. He threw to, you know, Nuke, Sammy, all the guys that are in the NFL now. And the defensive line, uh, obviously the three coming back this year, uh, plus Dex, and the last four, four or five years have been incredibly strong on the defensive line. And with those as our, our starting point, we've been able to pull in, hey, who wants to throw to these amazing receivers? Oh, two of the best quarterbacks of their generation. Great. Uh, and who wants to play behind this defensive line? A lot of really good players. Um, yeah, we're going across the country now, reaching into not just the Midwest, but now into California and Joseph Nagata. Yeah. And possibly DJ. Yeah. Who wants to join this group historically and who wants to play with them? And I think that's been a really strong uh, way that we've recruited is come play with the best or be one of the best. Like, why uh, would the number one really wide cool receiver works. For, for 2020 not want to come to Clemson and play for Trevor Lawrence in his final year? Yeah, I, that's a great question. I think that's what we've done really well. After watching that um, game. Yeah, no, I think we've done a really good job of, of building, starting from two position groups and turning it into a across the country, across the field, all positions, uh, recruiting monster that, that Dabo has created. Yeah, and I guess my distinction with like a Bama program, I don't think we'll ever be number one year over year in recruiting rankings. I don't even know if we'll always be in the top five. And that's just because like the the, the crouches of the world, um, various crouches of the world, like we, we I'm not saying we, we definitely wanted him and he'd have been a great addition to this program. But we're not always going for the top tier five-star guys. We're, we're okay with that, with that trade-off with, a, high, a, a low four star with great character, great fit. And there's just, even in the top 300, not every player is going to fit the Clemson mold. So that's, that's the trade off. And that's why you might have a little bit less talent, but you prioritize the premium positions. Like, like Sam said, quarterback, offensive line, defensive line, and then build around that. And then you, of course you get a, you get a Mullen, you get a Terrell, um, you get Trey Lamar, five stars like Trey Lamar. And, um, and of course everyone's bought in, but we're still going to be taking the Nolan Turners. Right, I think so. The Hunter Renfros, so. yeah. you know, it pays off. Nolan Turner had a good national championship game. He's gonna get a ring. And he's gonna be back next year and the year after that. And we're family, not a factory. Exactly. Uh, well, if you didn't know, life is good as a Clemson fan. It appears to only be getting better. So uh, maybe that's as good a place to stop as any. But we do thank everyone for tuning in. Still got the the radiant glow coming off the natty. Hope this lasts a few more weeks. I'm going to be rewatching that game a lot. Might even mix in the Notre Dame game here and there as a palate cleanser. Throw in the um, 2016 yeah. championship just I got, for good measure. I have two yeah. computer monitors at work. I just One is just going to be the natty on, on repeat the I, whole time. I, I was considering, I might even rewatch the 2015 season's title game. Yeah. I have not yet gone there. but If you like to see short receivers that can't catch, that's a good game to watch. And, and bust in the, in the secondary. And bust in the secondary, yeah. Uh, maybe I won't. Um, but uh, in terms of our show and what you can expect coming forward from us, we've talked about it. We're going to put out a Watson's show. Uh, we're going to bring our good friend Bama Dozer back on to uh, answer for his team's showing in that game. We actually hung out with Dozer. He came by the, the, the tailgate. I missed him. Ah, I, I don't know how you could have missed him because he had a Hawaiian shirt on, a huge <laughs> Alabama Hawaiian shirt. That was him. And a yeah. cowboy hat. And a cowboy hat. Like He was not subtle at I sh- all. I should have known but, that was uh, him. Dozer is a good sport. He will be on, so stay tuned for that. We are also going to have National Signing Day, so we're going to catch back up with Quacking Tiger, get him back on here. Um, we also need to do a recap with the Kraken of Clemson Pods. He's agreed to come on. So uh, we'll find, it, find a way to fit all these shows in. And then basketball season is upon us. Clemson's in the middle of ACC play. We've had a bit of a 
Um, a front-loaded, stacked ACC schedule to start, so things have not looked great, but um, still plenty of season left to recover and get tournament ready. So we will be keeping track of the basketball team. Baseball will eventually start. I think starting in February, you're going to see us cut down to probably a couple times a month. So look, look for that. Here and there, we'll do interviews. Here and there, we'll do kind of more um, broader looks at the football team and the program and um, bring some more interviews on. Well, and the next thing you know, you know, we're right around the corner from spring practice starting, and then we'll have the spring game in early April. So uh, football is going to be back on our radar. Yeah, and I think before you know it, the big intriguing thing now we all know is going to be who's not only who's going to the NFL that'll get decided here in the next week or two, um, but what does that depth chart look like on defense, especially offense? We already know for the most part. Maybe some O line, you know, shuffling will, will occur, but it's going to be on defense. So we'll be keeping track of that. Um, as spring spring camp breaks. Uh, anything else, guys? No, just uh, another great season of Clemson football and just feel really um, lucky to be a part of it, be a Clemson football fan. It's a great time to be a Clemson Tiger. And just from all the guys that are representing us so well in the NFL, um, to see a group of them on the sideline during this game was, was really cool. To see all those legends over there and just know that we're pumping out more. So... Um, I've never had a more fun time following Clemson players in the NFL just because there's so many of them and they're all playing so well. So uh, just to, I'm a Texas fan now. I need to watch Deshaun Watson throw it to Nuke and uh, DJ Reader on that team. Um, it's really cool. Uh, it's a good time to be a Clemson fan. Yeah, I uh, life is good. Uh, I the the host of hosting the national championship was a great experience for us. I think as a group uh, and the Northern California Clemson Club as a whole. Uh, super proud of the way that, that we pulled it off and, and super humbled by the peop, number of people that showed up to our tailgate uh, and are actually listeners and fans of, of us. Um, thanks for listening. Um, but yeah, like, like we say in every episode, to start it off, life is good. Yeah, I'd say just this year, uh, in tribute a little bit to Dwight Clark and CJ Fuller. I think it was a good way to... Yeah, absolutely. To, you know, send them off, so... Good stuff. Great year. Oh, we got a flag too. We got a podcast flag. I don't know where it is right now. It's in my closet. In your closet. Okay. Uh, we got to find a place to, to fly that flag. But um, again, thanks for everyone who came out. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the reviews. And uh, we look forward to defending our title next year, right? So uh, let's do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate the listens. We'll catch up to you guys soon. And as always, go Tigers.
Forget era adjusting. Which undefeated champ would win if you time traveled all of them into a tournament and let them play in 2019? Anybody here? Yeah. What are you doing, Mike? Uh, okay, don't turn the alarm on us. <laughs> Um, did you already talk? Yeah. Were you paying attention? Uh, yeah, I, I can. <laughs> Level. <laughs> I can uh, talk. Do you, 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 you need me to say me. more words? I can talk longer and louder. I can say a lot of words. Well, you tell me how long you want to loud you want to talk. There, this Sam. is this is how I naturally like to talk. Uh, apparently, I'm really loud, so I need to turn down my. This is, uh, my this is how I'm going to talk normally in conversation. Actually, <laughs> I know it came back. <laughs> Just trying to be real here. I want whenever my voice is on to like pierce the person's ear. They gotta be like, damn, I gotta turn that down. Cody, shut the up.